you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. This is the Signs of the Times special podcast from Joshua Nations, an ongoing healthy conversation between normal people, ministers, and missionaries about what is going on around the world. Is prophecy being fulfilled? And what should we do about it? Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our podcast where we talk about the end times, prophecies, um, and prophecies pertaining to the end time through the scripture and the Bible. And uh, um, if Chris, if you could just give us a little bit of an overview of what we've been talking about and just catch us up on, uh, for those who weren't on the podcast last week, uh, what we were talking about last week, and then we'll jump in and, and take it from there. Sure. Last week, I believe we started with just the concept and the theme of a rapture. Is it in scripture? And we discussed that quite in detail. You know, we went over Enoch, Elijah, Jesus, the foreshadows of a rapture, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot getting out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the wrath of God came down. Noah as a foreshadowing of the rapture, as the wrath came down on earth, Noah was lifted above the earth. And then when God's wrath had subsided, then Noah came back down to earth. And then we talked about the, the raptures that are prophesied yet to come, the pre-tribulation, the mid-tribulation, the two witnesses at the end. And so basically, I think you can conclude, no matter what your opinion is about the rapture or the taking away, and we also discussed about this deception and trick of teachers coming and saying that the rapture is not in the Bible, and yeah, because we don't speak French or we don't read the Latin Vulgate, because the Latin Vulgate had the word raptura, but in the Greek original the term used is harpazo, which is the snatching away. So yeah, and the the word casa is not in the Bible either, if you don't have a Spanish Bible, but the word house is in the Bible. So we talked about how that's just kind of a deception. And the concept or the theme of a taking away or a snatching away is all throughout scripture. And then we started talking about the the harpazos or the raptures that are prophesied to take place in the future. And I, from what I see in scripture, I was, uh, I left off talking about how I'm convinced from what I see in scripture, that there is a pre-tribulation or pre 70th week of Daniel taking away or harpazo of the church. And I, I mean, I'll get back into it uh, after we talk about it. And then me and Sam, you know, we, we talked about it in depth. But since we're here and, and Gary and Scott are here, I'd like to open it up and just, uh, I guess we'll start with Gary. Gary, what are your views basically on the concept or the theme 
of a rapture or taking away. No, I agree with you. And uh, I think there's more um, evidence through scriptures and events, biblical events, that indicate there's always a remnant that leaves. We had a Jewish rabbi that used to come and teach us in Jerusalem way back in 1981 when I was school there. And he would tell us that even when the Israelites came out of Egypt, only a remnant came out. When they came out of Babylon, only a remnant escaped out. And so the Bible's full of those examples. And uh, and I agree with you, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily say um, rapture, but rapture's there. The, the, those Greek words and so on, Hebrew words even in the Old Testament indicate that. So, yeah, the concept um, yeah, I believe in a theme is in there. E Enoch was, yeah. was taken away. He was harpazoed. Elijah was taken away. He was harpazoed. Jesus, we and we talked about it. You don't think you, you think of the ascension is what we call it in Christianese, but in the pure sense of the word of a taking away or a bodily and alive leaving planet Earth and going up to heaven, the ascension of Jesus is also a form or a type of a rapture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some of course, Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, some argue mid trib, you know, and so on. Uh, th three quarter trip, I've heard, I've heard people speak about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the raptures for me, I mean, the, th the thing is also, as a young student, we've been taught in that, and there's been years and years of study on it. And uh, some of these things, um, like the, you know, the two-thirds of the way through, there'll be a rapture. There's others that say there'll be multiple raptures. I, um, so, But these are all new kind of uh, inputs, as it were. Um, I think, um, you know, also what sits with us? What, what do we discern? How do we feel? How's, how's the word actually speaking to us? And, uh, and and I think that's also important. You know, what's God saying? We can, I mean, we have the word, but at the same time, what is He? How does He confirm that word? And He does. And for me, that word is confirmed in my spirit, in my heart. Amen. Scott, uh, I would like to bring you in here. Um, what 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 do you think about the rapture? Is there a rapture? Uh, is there going to be a rapture? Uh, Pre-trip, mid-trip, both trip, all trips. I don't know. Where do you stand on this? Um, yeah, first, so so the same way Chris and Gary are saying this, I, I believe that the, the, the idea of the theme of rapture is all through Scripture. It's not just a, it's not just an end times, now we talk about yeah. it kind of thing. It's always been there. And, uh, and it's so prevalent in, in, in passive ways and very active ways, honestly. Uh, the reason I say that is because there really is a a uh, push in um, evangelical circles that there really is no rapture and there is no tribulation. There is no uh, seven-year tribulation. There is no um, any of that stuff. We just kind of kind of end up in the millennial reign. 
a very that that would be more of a preterist view. I think I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, interesting with that is the only other place where I can see where people argue for none of those things is in Jehovah Witness. And I try to I try to make sure that some of our evangelical friends that are that are really rejecting some kind of idea of a rapture and a tribulation, you're not really consistent with Scripture. I understand. I understand legitimate debate on when the rapture happens. I understand that. And uh, my philosophy, and I always tell the church this, I am pre-tribulation. I really am, and, and I can explain why. It's not usually the, the views that some people have as to why. Um, but I am pre-tribulation rapture up until the moment the tribulation starts, and then I am all in with mid-tribulation rapture. <laughs> I, am, I am 100% until the three-and-a-half-year mark. <laughs> And then I am totally on board with a, a, a post-tribulation rapture at that point. So, <laughs> so with that, yeah, I am pre-tribulation rapture. Here's one of the things I want to throw out before we really kind of start delving into uh, where you side up with timelines and things like this. I had to reconcile this for myself about 50, well, I'm probably closer to 20 years ago, is... Um, why do I believe what I believe? And this is always a big thing to me. If you, if you sit under any of my teaching at any length of time, that's going to be one of the main things that you're going to constantly see is I try to ask the question, why? How did you arrive at this conclusion? Why do you think Jesus is this? How do you perceive him? Why do you think scripture is this? Um, why do you think uh, gifts of the spirit are this? Why? It's not just do you believe in this stuff, but why? Well, how did you come to the conclusion? Because one of the things that I figured out over the years is that we have we have certain reasons why, or what I call filters, life filters that we filter information in and out of. We have a lot of things that are put, uh, taking stuff uh, out and in of our of our uh, consciousness and out and in of our information that are actually much more connected to moments and events in time and uh, the right people telling us certain things in time and a book we read at certain times that we actually come to theological conclusions because of predisposition to a certain thought process. And uh, and I think one of the things that that needs to take place when you're really studying scripture and specifically with, with eschatology, but really across the board, is do the best you can to go before the Lord and try to wipe the slate clean, which is impossible completely, but try to wipe the slate clean a little bit and say, okay, I'm just going to look at this scripture and I'm just going to break this scripture down and really analyze it and see what God is telling me about the scripture and be very open to the Lord showing you something that may even go against the way you look at it. And then have the guts to stand up in front of the people that you teach and preach to. You're like me, it's weekly. And say, look, I am wrong about this one. I've been wrong for the last 10 or 20 years or whatever. And I want to tell you why I believe what I believe and what God has begun to um, unpack for me. And then here's another big one is being consistent. Most Christians I come across, they believe this, they believe this, they believe this, and none of it matches up. It's in disagreement sometimes. You know, we believe some kind of um, dispensationalism over here or, or, or supernatural over here and cessation over here and I mean, it, it's weird how we can have, be so um, dichotomous in our in our views. And so really process consistency. What is God really telling me? And then why are you arriving at the conclusion that you're arriving at? 
And Sam, I see you shaking your Sam shaking his head. Yep, yep. So what what are you agreeing, disagreeing, or what are you? Oh, thinking? my spirit is bearing witness with what each of these guys are saying. I mean, I think we're on the same page in that sense. I think the real challenge, anytime you discuss future events, no matter what it is, um, it it takes on a different. When you talk about eschatology, the study of the end times, that is totally different than soteriology uh, or any of the other theologies because it's talking about something future that hadn't happened. And and then you say, okay, uh, and then, and I, I appreciate this, Jason was on a few times, and Jason, uh, in the last few months, I've heard him refer to that, and I love his phrase. He said that, Sometimes we get confused in doctrine and dogma, and uh, and and I, I find that it's real easy. Uh, my dad was very dogmatic. Dogma. He was a hyper dispensational premillennialist, and you know I grew up with the C.I. Schofield Bible. That's the Bible we studied in our church, and I lived out of. And I'm probably the oldest one on the on the called here to and uh, but I remember when the only version we had was the King James version. And then along in the late fifties you had the revised Nothing wrong standard. with that, Sam. And then we had the <laughs> then we then we had the revised standard version. Then you got, came along with the Billy Graham Crusades and had the pieces of the living Bible, the living letters, the and the you know and, and you wind up with the living Bible, which is a paraphrase and, and all of that. And so I've lived through those different eras. And, uh, but I found that a lot of times we get dogmatic and, uh, but, but I think we've got, there's an element here out of our love and respect for brothers in Christ. You know, if a person's mid-trib, pre-millennials or post-trib or, you know, whatever, uh, all millennials, post millennials. If he knows Jesus and he dies and he's going to be eternity with us in heaven, then then this is where we have to love each other and give each other the grace to differ. And so I have to be careful what I'm I, I espouse is those my doctrine or those things I die for: the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the blood atonement. Hmm. You know, I will die a martyr's death for that. But when it comes to eschatology, uh, uh, you know, I believe it. I think it's going to happen. But I think I think that all of us probably are going to have a few surprises when it all comes about. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I think that I, I, I see a, a, a pre-tribulation clearly in Scripture. But I know there's people that I've learned from, that I still learn from, people that I know love Jesus, saved, going to heaven. They are not seeing it. And I've what I believe is that God allows some people not to see it, if I'm correct, which that that doesn't that doesn't matter. Uh, but that we keep talking about it and we keep discussing it. So the rapture is always in the minds of people. The discussion is always out in the community so that when the rapture does occur, 
that there's not going to be any mistake about what happened. There's not going to be a deception of that UFOs or aliens or whatever the adversary is going to come up with to deceive the people that are left behind. And I, 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 I think that discussion has always got to be in the forefront and it, it, it never dies. It never goes away. Um, so there are going to, so God allows us to disagree on it and keep the discussion in the forefront in, in the forefront of your mind. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words <laughs> on how to describe it. Uh, I, I do agree with Chris where he says that um, I think all of these things God allows so that we can talk about it. Um, even though we don't see much being talked about um, in these, in these last couple of years in church, I grew up a lot with it and uh, seeing the videos and stuff about the rapture and being very afraid that I was going to be left behind, uh, no pun intended. Um, but um, after, uh, after COVID, I think the light started going on. And after COVID, it seemed like revelation all of a sudden started making sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, people started talking about it. Um, and uh, I just saw on, on, on Facebook that uh, a guy that was one of our teachers at Bible school, he had a, a book that he posted that I think he's trying to, I try to find the post. Um, that said why we do not believe in a pre-trib rapture. So those things are starting to come to the forefront again, which I think is good. I think is good so that we start talking about it. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of my concerns is that um, roughly 25 years ago, two narratives, and I'm generalizing now, not, this didn't happen totally, but disappeared. One is the teaching doctrine on the Holy Spirit, and the other one was eschatology. And so there are, there are a few generations that have no clue, and I'm generalizing now, no clue what those two things are. That's right, and, and I think what's happened, uh, the absence of both of those things, there, there's sort of a vacuum out there, just mm -hmm. a, a, a blatant vacuum. You don't see any, I, I don't hear young pastors uh, addressing these issues and what's happened. Uh, my concern and it <clears throat> is that there's now uh, there's no sense of urgency. There's a no uh, burden for the lost. Uh, the 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 sense of the imminent return of the Lord. That that's so. I mean, it's pie in the sky, distant. It, oh, it's not. And that's not even talk. They don't even want to discuss it. Uh, it's amazing how those are under 40 or no, for sure under 30. Uh, these are not even topics they discuss. And you don't even hear it uh, in seminaries anymore. And theologians, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion about uh, uh, Calvinism and being reformed. And, and then you have the cultural wars and, I mean, all of those things. But they're, they're leaving this kind of discussion out. And it's mm -hmm. not even on, they don't, they don't have an audience, a platform. And you're a weirdo if you're thinking about end times and being taken out and, oh, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of been painted in such a way. And I believe 
uh, we've lost a lot of the uh, the the fervor. You know, we Billy and I talked the other day. You know, when you you showed the movie to teenagers years ago, The Thief in the Night, you had a lot of kids trusting Christ mm-hmm. because there was the reality I could be left behind. But also, we're, we're, there's another big vacuum. No one's preaching on hell anymore. That you don't hear much on hell. The reality of hell, and yeah, or you know, and so what? Oh, some are left, or some are gone. No big deal, you know. And I, I'm not worried about it. You know, the, the, if it's not in the moment, a touchy feely, and whatever, the, they don't want to talk about anything in the future. I'd like to hear. Um uh, Scott, I'd like to bring you in here. Uh, sorry, uh, Jonathan, Scott, I'd like to bring you in here and just see because uh, Scott and I had a conversation once and, and he was kind of surprised that I said pe- uh, preachers don't teach on this because Scott teaches on this and uh, he's realm where he teaches on. Uh, they have some robust discussion on this, right, Scott? Yeah. Um, Sam, I think you're... I think you're on, you're on to something. It's, but I think it's all linked together. Um, I don't see these as like um, individual subjects that people are staying away from. The, the way that I see this is that the subject that people are staying away from is the um, accountability, our personal accountability. And so when you leave out the fact that I'm accountable to God for Scripture then, then you're, you really are gutting a lot of Scripture, and you can't talk about certain things. You can talk about the blood of Jesus, but only up until there's an accountability to that blood on a personal level. Right. The fact that the blood of Jesus actually saves us um, from eternal destruction and death, that, that's where we stop, because there's an, then now I'm accountable for that, and I have to do something about that. The same concept as the Pentecostal... Uh, distinctives, the reason those aren't taught is because there's an accountability to that. Sure. That the Holy Spirit is empowering me and now I have to do something. Same thing, same thing about eschatology. Um, I, I remember years ago, so I, I went in the Navy in 1988. So um, I, uh, the first three or four years I was in the Navy, I, the first two years I wasn't a Christian and I got saved. And, and, um, the next couple of years after that, I was, I was already a youth pastor. I was a minister and I was, um, you know, I'm still on the ships and doing things like that. And the question, anytime somebody found out I was a minister, I wasn't a chaplain in the Navy, but I was a minister. I was in reserves. And I was a minister. And anytime I found out, they found out about this, they immediately would ask, well, tell me about the end times. Tell me about Revelation. Tell me about the Antichrist. Tell me about the tribulation, that kind of stuff. Now, that was 30 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about the time people stop talking about that in the churches. But that is the first number one question I ever got. Yeah. Now all the questions I have to do have to deal with um, sexual identity and all this other stuff. But, but back in those days, it was always about the end times because there was an accountability factor in our society, not just within Christianity, but within our society. And uh, so that, that does lead me back to, I'll jump into the, the uh, rapture and tribulation itself. Um, Scott, before you leave that, uh, I think you're spot on with accountability. Uh, last Wednesday, about a week ago, 
I'm discipling a guy right now, and uh, we were at Starbucks, and we we brought this topic up, and he was asking, "Well, what you know, what was my view on the end times, whatever?" And uh, I'm discipling him, uh, and one of the things I'm working with him is teaching him how to share his faith. I'm teaching him, you know. Uh, he's right now. He's making his list of his top ten uh, non-believers that he knows that he's, he wants to make sure they get to go to heaven, and he wants, right. he's praying for an opportunity to share the gospel. Okay. So as we got into our discussion, we we got around to talk about end times, and he doesn't have ten yet. He's only got five. And I said, so let's talk about. It. I said, let's just say Jesus comes again. Uh, Day after tomorrow, how many of your relatives uh, do you know who are going to go to heaven and they're going to be part of the rapture? And how many are going to be left behind? Well, uh, 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 he started stammering, whatever. And I said, uh, and, and all of a sudden, the accountability, I said, who is going to tell your relatives? And we got to talking about his dad who doesn't know Jesus. And he said, well, my dad's hard to talk to. And I don't know, you know, he probably wouldn't listen to. I said, Jesus is coming in two days. You know, how are you praying for your dad? I don't know your dad. Tag, you're it, buddy. You know, you know the truth of the gospel. And all of a sudden, the, the reality sort of set in on him. And I mean... And it's almost more than he could handle. And I think the accountability, you know, and I said, are you, are you willing to sit here and say, well, let's, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if my dad, are you willing to sit here and let your dad step into eternity without Christ just because you don't feel co comfortable, whatever, you know? And I, I pressed in because I've got a relationship with him where I could press in. But that when you get into accountability, there's discomfort. And the mm. conversation of, you know, are you telling me my kin folks Jesus is going to come and just because they don't know him, they're going to spend eternity in a place called hell or they're going to experience the, uh, the, all this stuff? And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Uh, based on scripture, that's what, you know. And so I think you take the reality of when it comes to lostness, the reality of a real hell, you know, and then you lay on top of that, there is a real enemy who wants to take everybody to hell with him that he can. Now, all of a sudden, you went from a real hell, now you got a real devil, and then you got a, I mean, people don't like to feel the discomfort. And then when you're talking to a believer, they don't like to feel accountable because that means they're going to have to share their faith. And then we, evangelism's dried up, and, we, and our people don't even have the tools to talk to their relatives about Christ. Uh, and they don't even know how to get into a conversation. And, and so the accountability piece, I, I think you nailed it uh, in terms of what's going on because the discomfort comes. Well, you you mean my uh, my best friend may be left behind? Are you kidding me? Because we're so, uh, we have been, here's the word for me, we've been desensitized to the reality of the rapture or the reality of a real heaven, real hell. And, you know, and we, we don't like anything that gives us a measure of discomfort. 
And I, mm-hmm. that's what I see happening. I think accountability is the key, though, because we're going to be accountable. Now, their blood's going to be on our hands if we don't tell, tell them about the Lord, you know, and that's serious. Well, I, I think with this, I'm so I have not, I'm not really um, known as like a, an eschatology teacher. That's, that's not my thing, but I do study a lot and I do teach about it. But here is, here is how I teach about it. Because I, I think, so I've been to three seminaries and I've taught in two and I'm teaching in one right now. One of the things that drives me crazy about seminary, specifically postgraduate, um, is everybody loves to sit around and talk about theology. They like to talk about the Bible. I don't. I I think that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew when he says you you sit around and you talk about um, uh, endless or useless ideas. That's my paraphrase. I think we can spend so much time talking about eschatology that we miss the point. And the point is, Jesus is coming. We better be getting people saved. Amen. We better be Amen. witnessing. Yes. Um, that, yes. That's the point. Without that, without that, this is all a waste of time. Yes. We're, we're just talking about stuff. And uh, years ago, I said this in a, uh, in a sermon I was preaching at a seminary. And I did not... I knew how strong the statement was, but I didn't realize it was going to go over as flat as it did. But I told him, I said, you know, the sad thing is, is the church is having parties. And the reality is we're dancing on the graves of the lost. And and I, you could see, I mean, you could hear a pin drop across that room. We're doing all kinds of stuff. Nobody's getting saved. Right. And so our stuff is adding up to very little. And so mm-hmm. even as we're talking about which which rapture or everything it's so that we know that jesus is coming back if we can just catch the urgency that jesus is coming back then the discussion is 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 going the right direction if we don't catch the urgency of jesus we've missed it well and i I think there's another piece of this the church really doesn't see itself as the bride right that needs to be ready for the groom uh, that that whole piece is missing, and, yeah. and they don't the church. And then how you know, the bride's not ready? You know, you get into the virgins and the, the ten virgins and the oil, and they got empty lamps, and and they're clueless. And and I'm going to use this word. Uh, there is a real, and it's genuine. It's not a, a a slam. There's just gross ignorance in our churches now because the pastors have not educated the people about, hey, you're the bride of Christ, you need to be ready, uh, uh, you know, the groom is going to come back. And, and, and when we've not, we've not, we're not discussing it, the church needs a dose of excitement and anticipation, listening for the trumpet and the blessing they come. And, you know, those who are blessed when they, when they pray for his coming, they're clueless. And they just don't know they ought to be looking for his coming. No, no, no one's talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, we spend too much time trying to figure out. You know, these are these are placating churches that are trying to figure out. When you read the story of the Ten Virgins, they're trying to explain to the church how the, the other five, the first five make it to, as the bride, and the second five don't. And they're trying to explain how the second five probably are okay, and they probably made it anyway, and 
and there's a probably a second chance for them. And they spend all this time and energy instead of just saying, you know, it looks to me like half made it and half didn't. Which half do you want to be? That's right. I mean, it seems to be actually that simple. Yeah. I um, On Sunday, I preached the sermon, and it's, it was called, or is called, uh, Where is Your Permanent Residence? Um, and I think we'll all agree that there's two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom and then the kingdom of this world, of man. Most people are living in this kingdom and trying to filter the kingdom of God into their lives. And I think that's where the disconnect might be. I believe we need to move our permanent residence back into the kingdom of God. And when we seated there in heavenly places, if you like, and we're part of that kingdom, then we filter everything from this kingdom into our kingdom. And then it becomes all about him and not me. It becomes about the mission. It becomes, you know, a whole perspective changes because the rules are different in that kingdom. And uh, and I think that's the problem, to be honest. I think people are just living their lives and trying to trying to piecemeal God into their lives. So it's all about what God can do for them, not what they can do for God. I think too, I'd like to add on to that, Gary of what you're talking about, the kingdom. And a lot of what people miss in the end times and revelation, okay, we're living in this world. There's all kinds of horrible things. I just did a uh, an open casket funeral for a five-day-old uh, baby with a horribly hurting, wailing mother. There's pedophilia. There's murder, there's death, there's all kinds of these horrible things that are going on in the world right now. And as a Christian, you you can get frustrated. The corruption in the government, uh, corruption in politics, everywhere you look. And one of the things about eschatology or end times that we tend to miss is there is going to be a paradigm shift. The book of Revelation, the opening of the scrolls in Revelation chapter 5 is that paradigm shift. And what you have to understand is right now, we are living in the Luke chapter 4 paradigm at the temptation of Jesus where uh, Satan told Jesus that all the kingdoms of the world are mine and I can give them to whoever I wish. We're still living under that paradigm and the excitement and the wonderfulness of revelation and the revealing of Jesus Christ is as a frustrated Christian living in this sinful, corrupt, horrible world is the excitement is, is that paradigm is going to shift as those scrolls are open and we just get through this or humanity or the world gets through that 70th week of Daniel. At the end of that, there is a thousand year reign where Jesus Christ himself is going to be on this earth ruling and reigning. And that paradigm is going to shift. And then after that, There's something even better after that when you get to the New Jerusalem 
and the new heavens and the new earth. It just keeps getting better after that. And that's where the excitement and the hope comes from, is knowing that these things are going to change. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is going to rule and reign. And he is going to, I believe in Daniel, in the prophecy of the 70th week, is uh, uh, in that prophecy, all sin is going to be taken care of. And even scripture tells us that death is even going to eventually be taken care of itself. And we need to understand that, that it's not doom and gloom. It is excitement about Jesus returning and changing this corruption into glory. Hmm. Uh, Chris, it's a revelatory shift. Paradigm shift keeps shifting. So it's something that's really internal. It's something that shifts in my spirit, man, rather than in my understanding. Just a little thought about that. Yeah, but I, I mean, what I mean by that is that Satan will no longer be in charge of the governments and the kingdoms yeah. when the 70th week of Daniel is concluded. Yeah, Jesus Christ himself will be in charge of all the kingdoms and the governments and the politics on the planet after that. Yeah, I was, I was about to say that. I think it's a, um, I don't think it becomes an immediate thing. But I think what happens is, is I do believe that Gary's right. The, the sh there is a shift in the spiritual realm where people have revelation. But there's also this Jesus begins to um, to take the authority back of, of everything. And, uh, you know, in the second coming, when he puts when he plants his feet on each side uh, and the mountain splits in two, that is him saying, this is my planet. Mm. Um, we're we're taking this thing back and some of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so going to the uh, what I was talking about earlier about where where is your starting point and where do you think about? Usually, when I talk to people about the fact that I'm I'm a pre trib pre tribulation rapture person, that it's almost inevitable that that their perception, specifically if they're not a pre tribulation rapture person. Their immediate perception of me is that I am a escape the wrath person. Okay. And I don't, I do not have a pre-tribulation rapture mentality because of wrath. I do believe that there are scriptures that talk about that. And I do believe that there is some legitimacy to that um, for the bride the bride uh, doesn't have to go through the wrath kind of thing, but that's really not my focus of this. The I think if you're building a pre-tribulation mentality on, on escaping wrath, I think if you're not careful, the reason is because you're coming from a point of view that says that I, I don't necessarily have to go through bad things. One of the one of the the I think the impetus, but I'm not the scripture. I think there's some scripture about that. I mean, there is. There definitely is. But I think some of that comes from the mentality that kind of came along with the uh, Pentecostal um, belief of, of Jesus going to take care of us and he's going to uh, protect us. And then that kind of got into the um, to the hyper faith, uh, name and claim it kind of mentality that says if we're 
if we're dealing with negative stuff, it's because something's wrong in our Christianity that we should be, you know, you, you should never have a headache and you should never be sick because you're a Christian. Well, I, at first, I don't think that's theologically sound. But what that does is it bleeds into other things. And I think it kind of has also bled into the, the escape, the wrath mentality of the tribulation. When I, when I look at pre-tribulation, I believe it's because the church is what is stopping uh, the Antichrist from having full, complete authority and reign. And the church is taken away, and that, that mm-hmm. looses the Antichrist um, to be able to do everything that he wants to do. Think about right now, the only thing, the only thing that is holding back a complete onslaught of perversion, sexual immorality, um, abortion, all the, 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 the pushing, pushing, pushing evils that are going on. The only thing that is stopping that right now is the presence of the church. And this is, this is yeah, they, they, that's one that one thing that we don't talk about is uh, is the restrainer. That's not talked about a lot in church. Um, uh, and uh, I'm I'm pretty much with you, Scott. Where um, when the restrainer gets taken out, and I believe the restrainer resides within us. It's the Holy Spirit that resides within us that's keeping the um, uh, the Antichrist from being revealed. Uh, that has to be taken out before anything anything happens uh, more than what we see right now and uh, as soon as as soon as the restrainer gets taken out um, and I don't believe that um, we'll be again left behind um, once the restrainer gets taken out because that's the only way uh, that the Antichrist gets revealed Sam um, your thoughts on that no I, I agree. I, th- I think there's some fascinating things. I mean, I, I've been this past week or two just processing some things. And I've got question marks. I'm not sitting here with answers. You know, uh, you know, we saw the meeting with uh, Putin and Erdogan from Turkey and and Iran, and we said, man, Gog, Magog, and all that. But then uh, I was shocked. I, I did not see it coming. That the uh, that the Supreme Court reversed the Roe versus Wade thing. I mean, I, I'm just sitting there going, "Whoa!" I mean, what a pleasant surprise. Okay, and, and so, and I'm so I'm a, I'm asking questions. Okay, now how does something that appears to be a turn in the favor of the Lord? You know, I mean, I, I, I'm processing. I, and I'm seeing some things happen that I'm, I'm just questioning, uh, you know, and I'm asking myself, you know, I think the, uh, the church, they're not, they're not looking for the Lord's return. And there's not a heightened awareness. Like in the days, I mean, when I grew up in the 70s and stuff, I mean, it was, it was a great anticipation. And keep in mind that the, that's back at, you know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Those guys had come back from World War II, and they wanted Jesus to come, and they look forward. They don't want a World War III, and wow. And that's where the missionary movement came out of. Those guys came back to the mission field, and they had a burden for China or, or you know, Indonesia, where they fought in the, you know, in the, in the jungles, you know, and they came back burdened for the world. But that generation's gone now, and so there's not that sense of urgency. And I was going through my library the other day, and, and I came across uh, 
Uh, I, I was in, I, I forgot about this book. It came out in 1968. It's been printed 17 times. And it was, uh, it was entitled, uh, it was by Salem Kurban, How the World Will End and the Guide to Survival. And his whole thing was, leave this on your coffee table so when the rapture happens, those who come along. And I, I went back and read this, and I'm sitting there going, wow. Uh, no one's even talking about this. But here's a guy who was burdened for lostness and was so concerned that if you are one of those getting left behind, it wasn't aliens, it wasn't beat me up, Scotty, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was, hey, Jesus took us out, and don't anyone lie to you. And I mean, I'm thinking, man, it's loaded with stuff, you know. And I'm saying, man, what happened to that fervor? That's the word I've been looking for, that passion and the burden for the lost. And uh, I think there's some other dynamics here. I think uh, if you get heavy into eschatology and Christ, you know, man, you've, you've been studying it and picking it apart and whatever, and it takes work to really become astute in eschatology and searching the scriptures. And today's generation, they don't want to read anything. Uh, and, and so, you know, and so, and, and this is one of those topics, you can't dumb this down. Uh, you know, and so you yeah, have but if the, you watch a YouTube, listen to an audio, watch a YouTube, something, Sam. There's no excuse. <laughs> but, but we talked about this. The, a lot of the young pastors and stuff, though, they're avoiding instead of embracing the, the discussion of end times, they're avoiding it because it, it takes work Twitter or Facebook or anything like it, that. and it also it, it takes not only work but you've got to be willing to get a lot of questions you preach on eschatology any kind of end time sermon get ready you're going to be bombarded with questions your phone's going to ring off of the wall you know and people are going to be weeping why didn't they I hadn't thought about my cousin not going to heaven and all of a sudden your workload gets ramped up it gets ramped up and then you're going to have to, and this is why Paul told Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. The study and preach on eschatology is work with a capital W. And then the, the evangelism, leading people to, people will line up and want to come visit with you and make sure they're right. They're not going to miss the rapture and all. It's going to be work. And I don't know if, that, I think it's tied into a work ethic on the part of some ministers. Here's a thought. Here's yeah, a thought. So we have all these examples of raptures through the through scripture, through history. We know that Jesus was raptured, but the Holy Spirit has to be raptured. Um, he was sent and he will leave. And so one could say this rapture that's coming where the church is leaving is also the rapture of the Holy Spirit, just like right. Jesus got raptured. Yeah, the restrainer is gone. Yeah. yeah. Let me, well, uh, I believe me, it'll be the Holy Spirit yeah, inside of us. Go, go ahead, Scott. Right. 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 Yeah. So, right. so yeah. back in Scott. the day, um, specifically in America, a lot of our teaching, our eschatology teaching, was really kind of focused. A couple people kind of led the way there, right? Yet, you, you had some people like Hal Lindsey and things like that. But for right. For a lot of the 70s and 80s, actually nationwide, not even in the Pentecostal groups, 
But Jimmy Swagger was one of the main eschatology yeah. teachers. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jimmy Swagger taught that in, in Thessalonians 4, when the church is raptured, he's, he believes that the, the Holy Spirit went with the church. And that was, that was the standard teaching that I heard pretty much all my life. Um, as I became an adult and I really began to study this and look at this, I, have, I, I began to change my philosophy on this, and this is why. That we know that there are people that are saved during the tribulation. Right. Okay? We know that the 144,000 Jews are sent out, and probably the greatest harvest of Jewish people will be um, saved right. during the tribulation. And that we're, we see in Revelation, when they're looking back at the people of the tribulation, all of these people that are martyred, they have a, specific, a special position um, that those that are martyred during the tribulation. And so for me, I began to think, okay, the Holy Spirit can't leave with the church because if the Holy Spirit leaves with the church, how will people get saved? Now, Jimmy Swaggart explained that this is because there's an angel flying over, and I understand that scripture that's there, but I think there's, I think that's a misunderstanding of the scripture because an angel, there's not anywhere recorded in scripture that an angel is responsible for bringing people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in the, in the believer that brings uh, people to Jesus, right? And so um, so I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is, is, is uh, raptured, per se, like that. I believe that the Holy Spirit is still here to do the work that needs to be done. Um, now, I, obviously, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, but we understand that Scripture specifically gives places and locations for the deity or the Godhead. Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. We know he's everywhere, but there's some limitation in how they're going to interact with us. And so at some point, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is still here and he's still doing this up until, um, well, I don't know for sure when the Holy Spirit leaves because he's He's here through the tribulation. When Jesus comes back at the millennial reign, he's going to be here during the millennial reign. Um, so he's probably hanging out during the Battle of Armageddon too. So I, I don't know. That's just my thoughts. But I, th I think. Well, I would say if, the Holy Spirit. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I'm just saying the Holy Spirit, uh, prior to Pentecost, mm -hmm. came and went in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and the Spirit of the Lord came upon, and that you find passages like that, and the, mm -hmm. and you, and you find the the Trinity. I mean the. For instance, the first time you see them all together is Genesis one twenty six. Let us create man in our image. That's the only time. And then you, at Jesus' baptism, you got God talking, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and Jesus is in the water. But other than those couple of examples, and, and but then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and uh, I, I'm I don't know. I think this is one of those things that we, we will. Uh, we we look through a glass dimly. We'll know in full one of these days. But I think the Holy Spirit may have a coming and going kind of th thing in in the end times. Mm. Uh, and, and but I don't think uh, the, you know when we look at the Godhead, it's going to be fascinating uh, to just. It, I, I think it's going to make sense for us, you know, and. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. It's not for us to know all things, but those things he's revealed to us are for us and our children. And I think there's some things about the end times he's just chosen not to reveal to us. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's stuff all through scripture that we get glimpses of, 
Yeah. And he's, he has no intention of telling us the information. Right. You know, you see people talk about the Nephilim all the time. We don't really understand the Nephilim. We just don't. And we have ideas about it. I have I do. ideas about it. And then I read something and I'm like, oh, that's a good idea too. We're not supposed right. to know that. It's not for right. us. We will someday, but not right now. That's right. I think the Holy Spirit in during the tribulation of Jacob, Jacob's trouble is going to be ministering primarily to the Jews, of course, but also to the, the masses. But it's going to be kind of in an Old Testament context because that's what they understand. So, so you know, we think that it's going to look like it looked with us. I don't think so. I think it's going to be different. Grace is going to be there and the Holy Spirit's going to work. But I think the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit in the church and becoming the body of Christ no longer will exist, if you like, yeah. through that tribulation period. There will be believers and they'll have to endure and they'll have to endure until the end. But I, I, I don't think it will be exactly the same as it was uh, with the church, this dispensation. I, mean, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to be empowering those who yeah. died martyrs' deaths, for instance. Yeah. I mean, his role in that, to give them the boldness and the courage and all, all that the Holy Spirit gives us, I, I think we're, it's going to be a different dynamic. So another thing when it comes to the dynamic shift, because I, I do think, I think, Gary, you're, you're uh, onto something I think is important. And I don't think we have enough information about, but we have we have uh, some to be able to speculate here. So we do know that there's going to be a shift when it comes to world leadership and some of these kind of things. We're going to see, you know, after with the Battle of Gog and Magog, we're going to see all those, you know, uh, Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, Syria, Lebanon. We're going to see all those countries that are part of that have that battle, and then they're all all the armies are massacred. Well, that's going to happen before. The uh, tribulation. So then you're going to have the church taken out, I believe, pre-tribulation. Perhaps you're going to have the church taken out. And then all of a sudden you see in all of this stuff in Daniel where it talks about the Antichrist starting to take authority over all these countries. And uh, you're going to see less less country boundary lines and more spiritual Islamic boundary lines and leadership boundary lines. It's not going to be these leaders of countries, I don't believe, are going to be as powerful. It's going to be more of an amalgamation of all these different spiritual things with leaders at the helm of uh, some of these. With the Antichrist being the guy that's doing the manipulating all this stuff in Daniel, right? He's playing games. He's enticing some. He's threatening some, all this other stuff. Well, so then what happens is, is at the tribulation, you're going to have the temple rebuilt. and You're going to have the sacrifices again. So that means the church is taken out, the, the real church is taken out, um, and you have this strong worldwide Jewish feel again yeah. with the uh, with the sacrifices and all this stuff. Now it's going to be uh, demonically manipulated. The Antichrist is going to be the one starting up the sacrifices, so it's not going to be godly sacrifices. It's yeah. going to be Antichrist sacrifices. But what happens is you're seeing this major shift throughout the world where you go back to a very strong Judaism feel. And as yeah. people are getting saved, they're looking to Jerusalem because that's still the center focus. Jerusalem's always the center. And mm -hmm. they're going to have this, this very 
um, Jerusalem-centric mentality even built within their concept of the of the gospel. And you've got all these um, Jewish evangelists going all over the world preaching. Right. Even though they're preaching the message of Jesus, it's going to have much more a messianic Jewish feel than it is going to have an American Christian uh, yes. feel to it. So when you put that dynamic there, that gives the Antichrist even more impetus to be able to be in the positions of authority that he's in so that he can manipulate the system and then at the halfway point declare himself to be God. Because you don't just declare yourself to be God unless you've got a big enough following that you think this is a possibility. Yeah. Scott, you have just primed the pump and messed with my mind. Because <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I've got to go back and reprocess some things. Let me tell you what has just come is flying through my, between my ears right now. When a Muslim prays to Allah, who does he pray to? When a Buddhist prays to Buddha, who does he pray to? Well, we know that they're praying to demonic entities, principalities. You know, Allah, jihad, all that, he is a principality of death. Okay, then you have the, the Buddhist. And now, now you, you bring the head dude, the beast, in, those who follow Allah under that principality will have it, his followers point. And I think the role of the second tier in the spiritual realm, I think it's going to be real interesting during the tribulation and how those principalities work to get everyone to focus. And when he says he is God, that they will buy into it. I mean, I, I had never even had that thought but but the role of the the world religions, the principalities that oversee those, and, and the father of lies and the Satan himself, I mean, the working of that together at the same time, you're going to have those who are going to be the Jewish feel. I, I'm sitting here going, wow, this. Whew, I'm drinking from a fire hydrant. Well, you're you're going to have to have. This is something that so. Like Gary is saying, I, you know, and you were even saying also, Sam, I've been watching this. I, I'm only 52, but I've been watching this all my life through the 70s and 80s and all the teaching about it. And uh, there was major emphasis. I, I'll throw something out here that's probably going to, you know, go against the grain a little bit. But, um, you know, we've always had this mentality of a Western approach to this, Western approach to end times, Western approach, even an American approach. And they take this obscure scripture out of, of Daniel and out of Revelation that there that America is mentioned in. And I don't really believe America is. I, when it says the the armies from the west, I, it didn't say from the west, 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 far west, west. It said the west. So I think we're staying like around the Mediterranean, you know, that kind of thing. But with that being the case, there's always been this Roman rise of the Roman Empire, all this other kind of stuff. I, I don't believe Daniel talks about that. I don't think the legs on the statue is the is the Roman government. I think it goes to Greek, and then I think these ten toes. And also, I think this is Islamic caliphate, and I think the end time is much more of an Islamic approach when you're seeing these countries and where the Antichrist is coming from, not the ten mm -hmm. nations of the Roman Empire, whatever the case is. And mm -hmm. but, but 25 years ago, we didn't have a context for the Islamic caliphate. Right. We kind of knew they were over there, but we didn't really know, right? And uh, and so when you're seeing all these leaders, this Gog and Magog, and they attacked Israel, 
and all of their armies are destroyed, that means their generals and everybody else are destroyed in this. I think you're going to have these vacuums through all these countries, and that's the vacuum that the Antichrist raises up in. And these are all basically Islamic countries. And those 10 countries, I don't believe, are as much of geographical Islamic realms as they are spiritual Islamic realms, like Prince of Persia, things like that. And so, so then you have this spiritual collection of groups and entities and all this stuff. And, uh, and I think that's where your real scriptural emphasis, if you just kind of shift gears a little bit and read through that stuff again, read Daniel, read Revelation, read it, but, but take out the rise of the Roman Empire out of your mind and just say, what would this look like if I let it be Islamic? And, uh, and I think it's surprising how much that really does rule the day. So then when it comes time for the Antichrist to rise up in that arena, it's all Middle Eastern. It's all Islam. It's all that. It's not England, and it's not America, and all. It's just not. Okay, let um, me ask you. Let me ask you a question, Scott. Where, and I, I, where is Catholicism in that thinking? Well, so a lot of people assume that maybe the great horror in Revelation is Catholicism, right? And uh, and I and I wouldn't be against that if you if you allow it to to map out a little bit bigger than Catholicism. Okay, I think that the great horror is not Catholicism by itself. I think it's religion, and I think religiosity has been the death knell across all humanity under all time frames forever. It's religion. It's not just Catholicism. Well, right now we're building this this unified Catholicism, Islam, and Judaism's monument buildings and all this stuff, this one world religion, the buildings are already being built. They're all, they're, some of them are already done. Yeah. And this triune building thing that's going on, I think it's in um, Babylon. It's in Babylon, isn't it? In, in Iraq? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, and these things have already been built. So, so, you know, 50 years ago, Catholicism was this, strong strength of, of, of religion across the world. Catholicism is not that anymore. Right. Um, Catholicism has become less powerful across the world, and Islam is just as powerful as Catholicism. And so I think, That's but right. you have to add Judaism in there, or it's not going to get any biblical legs. So you have to have that other you know, third leg of the stool kind of thing. And so I, I believe that religion is the great horror, not Catholicism. I think Catholicism is part of it because he, the Pope now, I mean, think about all the stuff that the Pope is doing now that is not, even 20 years ago, he'd have been run out on the rail of Catholicism. He's not old Catholicism. He is this new progressive woke version of Catholicism that it, it even, at some level, even embraces abortion. How can a Pope skirt around the subject of abortion? So I think it's yep. more religion than it is Catholicism. Hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Sam, you asked the question there, and I think uh, I think uh, Doctor Scott Bottoms just schooled us here a little bit. Um, you want to add anything to your question or your thoughts? No, I'm just uh, well. Yeah. One I mean, one thing you got to remember theory. when you get into the when you get into the caliphate concept. And 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 then understand what's happening in that realm even now, even with the Hezbollah and Hamas and I mean all of those other entities 
I just see the the world is shaping up, and this conversation is just helping us to look at the the, the new shaping. It <laughs> begins. Go ahead, Gary. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm saying it began there and it will end there, and we'll end with ancient antagonistic, um, you know, hate. It's going to end there. So it's going to be those characters that play the biggest part in that, that sort of ending game. Well, yeah. we hadn't even touched on China, but you get the great horde coming out of the north. And, uh, I mean, when you have a standing army of four to five million, I mean, the, I can't imagine... Uh, you know, the the number of men versus the number of women because of all those years of one child, the male population in China is huge compared to the female population. And if that army goes on the, on, crosses the border and goes on the loose, and we're watching it, wanting to go to uh, Taiwan right now, but if it turns loose, those guys who are crossing that, they're going to have one thing on their mind, and you're going to see rape and pillage and atrocities that you've never dreamed about because it's the largest standing army, and they don't have enough women to meet the, the needs of all those. I mean, it's going to be crazy. And that great horde coming out of the north and, you know, headed down towards Israel. I mean, we've got some crazy days in front of us. And the question I'm saying, you know, okay, what, where are we? How are we going to handle it? How are we going to tell the people? And I, I'm just curious, Scott. Let's just say uh, the, I'm down here in Texas right now. And uh, on the Alamo, they had drummers and playing the gale. Uh, and they were marched on and the, and the cadence picked up and they marched and came in on the Alamo. What happens when the... Uh, when the, when things begin to happen at a faster pace, how are we, as believers who have, we understand what's happening in front, how are we going to stay in front of the wave to bring our people along? How much of the of the pre-tribulation are we going to see as tribulationist? I mean, it has a feel to it uh, uh, that, you know. Now, I, this is why I think there is, this is one of the things that I think came from COVID, that the pandemic and all that stuff. I, I never really bought into that. I mean, that's not for this discussion, but I think it was a manipulation. I don't think it was a real thing. And I think it was kind of a pre-test, a pre-run mm-hmm. for, um, for a one-world conglomerate mindset, which right. then gives you one-world government, one-world religion, one-world currency, all these other things, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I think Satan was... Uh, I heard a preacher friend of mine, Dave Reaver, say this, and he said, Satan poked the underbelly of the church and found it to be very soft. Mm. And I thought that was a legitimate statement. And and so I think what happened, one of the things that has come from this, which I think is going to turn out to be good. It's not good right now, but we're starting to see a separation within the church that um, there is an urgency in half the church. There is a renewed uh, urgency to talk about the lost and and preach about witnessing and to talk about eschatology and Jesus is coming. There's an urgency there that I haven't seen. We, we've mentioned this, but I haven't seen it in 20 years. Okay. Um, there is also this other side, kind of uh, Jeremiah 23, sheep and the goats kind of thing, 
We're also seeing this other thing going on in the church where you've got the church fighting against that urgency, fighting against the truth, fighting against standing up for God's word and, and the morality of God's word and the urgency, all these different things. And we're seeing this church, they're working so hard to make sure that nobody says anything abrasive or or anything that, that um, again, back to the accountability, any of this kind of stuff. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, we were just talking about this. We, we're, we're, we're trying to hire another staff pastor for our church. And there's just not a lot of guys out there, guys, girls, ministers, either, either for, for staff pastors, for lead pastors, anything. Because COVID depleted the ranks and kind of separated the ranks. And a lot of guys got out of the ministry during the last two and a half years, which I don't think is bad. Calling this thing, pruning this thing is not bad. Because if, you, if you're going to get out of the ministry because we go through something like COVID, you can't, if you can't handle it for that, you're not going to handle the tribulation. You're not going to handle Matthew 24, 25, 26. You're not going to handle any of this stuff. So, so get out now and let truth shine from a smaller amount of pulpits and the humanistic selfish side, let them do whatever they're going to do. But I think this is going to be okay. We've got to blow the trumpet as loud as we can. But here's the, here's the thing I try to do, and I'm, I'm sure you guys are doing the same. We've got to teach and preach personal evangelism. Get out oh, and witness to people. Yeah. Because that's the, really the only hope. Yeah. I'm getting into politics, but I don't know how much, I don't think politics is going to do this. I don't think a new president's going to fix America. I think getting on our face before God is what's going to fix America. Mm -hmm. And so that comes with that urgency. So, you know that the birth rate. I like what you're saying about the. Well, I was just speaking when I say the birth rate is outpacing the rebirth rate. So right now we're, we're probably one in ten is a Christian, an evangelical Christian, but in uh, five, ten years' time, be one in twenty. So we have a window of opportunity right now. Ten people is not a, a big stretch for one person to reach, you know. Uh, but if we wait another year and, and do church, sorry, do church like we've been doing in the past, which has kind of got behind the curve somewhat, uh, uh, if we can change that, fine. But if we can't, that's a sad, sad time, sad moment. Okay. I like what you're saying about personal evangelism, Scott. And uh, Dr. Sam Douglas on the floor over here, he's uh, with Joshua Nations. We've been developing a, a personal evangelism just to teach people how to how to evangelize on a personal level again. And, and we're going to be rolling that out. Uh, him and I are traveling to Nepal where we're going to roll it out the first time. And it's so sad that we got to roll these things out on a, uh, 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 in nations internationally um, I would so love to see us roll this out in churches uh, locally in, in the United States. I was shocked when I came back after 20 years of being on the mission field to find uh, a really broken, trodden down church in the United States uh, that wasn't very strong, that, like you said, that has a, a soft underbelly. And I find that internationally people are hungry. Um, I'm on my way to the Congo where I'm uh, the DRC Congo, where I'll be teaching and um, training uh, 
1,800 plus pastors, and these guys are just hungry for the word and, and hungry to get uh, what we have over here. I don't know, Gary, if you're seeing the same thing, because I know you're ministering internationally a lot too, that there's a hunger out there. And, and when I say I'm going to the DR Congo, I'm actually just going to the city of Lubumbashi. I'm not getting pastors in from all over the nation. That's just in one city that we're seeing the hunger. And uh, I want to end off with this, that we need to do the, the personal evangelism more and more and, and, and stuff, uh, teachings like what Dr. Sam has and, and, and roll that out and, and get it into churches. Um, if there's people listening to the podcast, uh, you can contact us at Joshua Nations and, and we'll come and do training with your people in your local church to do personal evangelism um, so that um, pastors like uh, Scott and Gary uh, and Chris don't have to stand on their pulpit and, and try and motivate people to go and do that, but that we actually go out and, 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 and get people one-to-one -one, uh, back into the church and into their kingdom, into the church. Uh, because when you say church, people think building, and it's, it's not supposed to be a building. So any, any last thoughts uh, before we close this out? I'm going to start with, with Gary. Just to yeah. latch on to that quickly, I think what we need to be looking at, uh, Timothy says that we are saved and called. Now, we know we called unto the Lord, but he says we're called not according, well, he doesn't say not according, but according to his purposes. And so there's kind of two glories here. You know, one is what we get and the other is what we give. We have to give our lives to serve the Lord. And, uh, and it means that we, every moment of our lives, every encounter, every circumstance, every trouble we call to, you know, we're not just surviving. We're not just getting through things. We're, we're called to our lives. And, you know, of course, we're called to share the gospel. It's very important. But I think mobilizing our lives as, as a continuum, it's, it's, it's all part of what God is doing. And I need to be walk past somebody and smile. It's not for nothing. That moment is spiritually intentional. And that's the kind of uh, life that people need to begin to walk. Absolutely right. Scott, your last thoughts? Um, I just, I'll just tag on what Gary said. I like it. I'm good. Um, Doc Sam, any last thoughts from you? Wow. That, that's just my, it's like sort of, you know, we crack it open when we get on these calls and it's all about drinking from a fire hydrant. Uh, I mean, coming from all areas. And at the same time, I want to see some 30-year-old young pastors who have a burden. You know, I, I, I went back and listened to the, an old, I went back to YouTube. And back in the 70s, uh, Larry Norman uh, wrote the lyrics to I Wish We Had All Been Ready. And, uh, boy, and that generation had a heightened awareness of the coming of Christ. You know, the Hal Benzie, like you mentioned earlier, you know, and then you come along with the novels with Tim LaHaye, and you had, a, you know, all, all of the stuff. I mean, there was an awareness and an eagerness and a thirst and a teachableness and people and the young people were asking questions and 
Uh, and it's, uh, I, you know, you're interviewing, uh, looking for a, a new staff member, Scott. Are you seeing very many thirty-somethings or less uh, who are really? Uh, I, I would you, <laughs> no, but I've been, or juiced that, up or? I've been seeing that trend for about fifteen years now. Oh. Wow. Jonathan, any last thoughts from you? You've been kind of quiet uh, today. Uh, Thank you very much. Still on the call, and we still see you. So really great. Uh, I love learning from all you guys. It's gonna start working. Try to put some of the things I'm learning right now in practice and studying on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan has been saying how much he's been learning and appreciating uh, just what we've been talking about. He's a He's one of those thirty-some uh, young guys that that's that's really just learning and, and and taking it in, and I love having conversations with him afterwards just to see what he's learning, and and uh, he's really excited for the conversations that we're having here. Chris, uh, last thoughts from you. If your internet holds, uh, I'm sorry, but your internet didn't hold up too much, and uh, you were kind of off the bus today. But if you've got any last thoughts, am, if the internet allows it, I would love to hear that. Am I coming? through clearly now yep you can you can go okay i have of course you're gonna wear it right now i'll try as long as the internet holds i have an antidote for the soft belly of the church that scott speaketh of and <laughs> i came to this antidote for the soft belly of the church by actually studying the rapture gives you the antidote Amazing as that is, are you ready to go in circles with me <laughs> through scripture? Here we go. So when I was studying for the rapture, I came across Exodus 24 and Ezekiel, where it showed the throne room of God. And I'm going to go real quick because we're coming to an end. Go read it. It's Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, Exodus chapter 24, verse 10. You can go study it. When it shows the throne of God, it shows an empty parking lot. And then the next time you see the throne of God mentioned in Scripture is in Revelation chapter 4, which is the beginning of the tribulation period, the 70th work of Daniel, the wedding supper of the Lamb, whatever you want to call it. And you'll notice in uh, Revelation chapter 4 that there's no longer an empty parking lot around the throne room of God as this 70th week of Daniel is getting ready to get kicked off. The parking lot is full. There's elders there. There's, there's a sea of, of people. It is no longer an empty parking lot. But it also says in there that the lampstands are there in Revelation chapter 4. And we know in Revelation chapter 1 that the angel tells John the mystery of the lampstands are the church. But in Revelation chapter 4, it says that those lampstands are burning with fire. And the fire is the seven spirits of God. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, it talks about the church without spot or wrinkle. If you want to be a church without spot or wrinkle, we have to be the church that is burning with fire with the seven spirits of God. 
And those seven spirits of God are found in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. So the antidote for the soft belly of the church is we need a church that is full with the spirit of the Lord, that is full with the knowledge of the Lord, with the wisdom of the Lord, with understanding, with counsel, with might, and the fear of the Lord. That is the antidote. That is the type of Christian we have to be, and that's the kind of fire and how we have to burn in our life. Okay, Chris, I'm sorry. I don't think ah! the last part there, your internet was cutting out again. Um, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Jonathan will be able to do something there for us. Guys, thank you for being on this call. Um, so many times I talk to people about the end times and they ask me, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I said, man, as we get taken out, I'm going to reach out and grab as many people and take them with. And uh, I think that's that's the goal here is is to to populate heaven and, and, and get that full. So, guys, thank you for being on. Uh, thank you for um, participating uh, tonight. Uh, felt like we started a little slow, but then uh, Scott said something and then uh, I love that quote. I actually wrote it down. The church is having a party and we're dancing on the graves of the lost. Wow, that really just blew my mind and that just rang so true. And uh, that was that was amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with that yet or how I'm gonna use that. Um, so, but I'm definitely using that somewhere. Thank you guys, God bless you. See you guys, uh, hopefully next week, same place, same time. God bless you. This was the Signs of the Times podcast from Joshua Nations. We hope you enjoy. Dig deeper into the Word of God through this time and share this with your friends. Follow us online at joshuanations.org, also on Facebook and Instagram.